It's a jackalope carnival. Jack, jack, jackalope. Jackalope carnival. Hi, I'm Becca. Hi, I'm Eric. And you're listening to Season 2, Episode 10 of Jackalope Carnival, a sideshow of stories, a bi-weekly podcast where we explore the paranormal, the unusual, and the downright odd. So, today, I'm going to bring y'all a story out of 18th century France. Eric, where does your story originate? My story is from 1990s Wisconsin. Okay, so 20th century Wisconsin, 18th century France. I think there's some similarities there. We could we could find some pairings. As a matter of fact, I can think of at least one big similarity between Wisconsin and France. Yeah, you How think about, so? Oh yeah. We should we should just spit out. Can you think of some? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Easily. Sort of brainstorm. We want to do this like one, two, three. Yeah, let's do just, it. Ready? Uh, yeah. One. Mm-hmm. Two, yeah, three. Werewolves. What <laughs> did you say? Cheese. Yeah, like with like the cheese heads in Wisconsin, and like cheese curds and squeak cheese, and you know the French cheese and French cheeses. Your story is about cheese. It really isn't though. Okay. It's actually it. Yeah. It, at first, I thought it was the legend of the. Be- well, I thought it was the Beast of Brie Road, but it turns out it's Bray Road. So yeah, good because yeah. we can't talk about cheese. <laughs> but <laughs> when, you know, I am appreciative of it. Fair enough. Who can't? I mean, cheese is awesome. But werewolves, yeah, we definitely have some werewolves in common between France and Wisconsin. And if we make a Venn diagram, though, you have to admit. If we have, right, cheese and werewolves are in the middle of the Venn diagram between Wisconsin and France. Yeah, I wonder if any of our listeners can think of some other uh, similarities between France and Wisconsin. (laughs) If they wanted to uh, let us know about these similarities that they came up with, how could they contact us, Becca? Well, they could try going on our Instagram, which is at Jackalope Carnival. Excellent. So, again, Insta at Jackalope Carnival. Tell us some similarities between Wisconsin and France. So um, I guess I'll go first today. Yes, I want to hear about yeah. the French werewolf. You know, I'm, we're going to talk about wolves and maybe werewolves or just speculated werewolves. I'm imagining like uh, a Warner Brothers version where he's like, Le Growl. <laughs> no, I mean, honestly, while it sounds funny, this tale is much scarier than that. And we'll talk more about it. So I'm in Raleigh and Raleigh is home of NC State Wolfpack. <laughs> so that you, you find wolf memorabilia all over. I feel like this is a good werewolves. Wolves is a good topic. But also I live in North Carolina. So we're one of the only places and I'm going to give a little wolf PSA right now. We're one of the only places that have a tiny population of an, a critically endangered species. And this species used to roam around most of the southeastern U.S., so from Texas, probably a little north of us. And there are only about 20 left in eastern North Carolina, and I'm talking about the red wolf. That's crazy. There's only 20 left. Yeah, and actually, it was really sad because in the 70s is when they went on the endangered species list. Mm -hmm. And 
they had a comeback. So in the early 2000s, I think there were 120. So they were feeling like they were coming back. Mm -hmm. And since then, the last 20 years, they've sort of plummeted. Just a lot Mm -hmm. of building going on. I mean, I I, so Outer Banks is one of the places that my family um, likes to go in the summer. Yeah, I love it there. And um, I've noticed, you know, a lot of house building has been going on, especially in the northern part of the Outer Banks, is that is that supposed to be like a con, you know contributing factor to the loss? Biggest contributing factor, I'm going to say, seems to be, and there's probably a lot. It's probably a little bit of human, you know, yeah, more building, more people. But they did attempt to release four that were raised in captivity, and they tried to release into the wild in Eastern NC. And um, I didn't know this, and then when I was writing this, I looked it up, and I I was really sad to hear that three of them got hit by cars. So travel traffic seems to be one of the things that's taking, you know, this already endangered population. Another thing they think is that they might be breeding with coyote Hmm. or stray dogs. Mm -hmm. So they also think that they might be sort of mixing with other populations. I just wanted to bring this PSA because if you're interested in wolves and wildlife conservation, maybe take a look at some of the efforts going on um, to save the red wolf. Because I feel like we're, I know we're at a really critical time. And Eric and I always say this podcast boils down to belief. And I know sometimes I can get a little nihilistic, like, ah, it doesn't matter either way. You know, what does any of this matter? I think that For sure, I have a belief that humans can and should make an effort to protect and preserve land and animals. Yeah, won't you please help? I'm pretty sure I was really waiting for Eric to launch into Sarah McLaughlin's In the Arms of an Angel, (laughs) like those ASPCA commercials. They always make me cry every time. Yeah, sorry, not sorry for uh, sharing about the flight of the Yeah, absolutely not. Yeah, there's only 20 left. My goodness. Yeah, in the wild. There there are some in the in zoos, so mm-hmm. there are still some, but in the wild there's only twenty. Uh, It'd be really uh, sad if they became extinct in the wild and they're very, very close to it. That's dangerously close. So yeah, I'm a I'm in Wolf Proud NC and I'm gonna be focusing on a story in France. <laughs> there we go. We can do similarities between France and North Carolina too, somewhere probably. Probably I'm going to be talking about one of the well-known, it's one of the most well-known wolf beast werewolf attacks in history. It's the beast of Gévaudan. And first, a little quick history about werewolves, not swearwolves. Uh, to quote <laughs> <laughs> restart me. I'm writing down. I'm writing down an, uh, an idea for Halloween costume next year. Oh, that would be amazing. So if, you, if you're if you not aware of that, that is um, Werewolves Not Swearwolves is a quote from the film What We Do in the Shadows, which is one of my favorite films. And that particular line was one of my favorite lines of all time. So, yeah, really happy to use it. <laughs> and Eric apparently really liked it, too. So. I did very much. Yeah. You know, tales of human beings that can turn into wolves and then turn back into humans have been woven into Western history for at least 2,000 years that we know of. So this is from written history. We really don't know before that. No one is 100% sure where the legend comes down from or what the first werewolf, you know, sighting or story was. But there are some theories. I'm going to go now through a... 
miss Becca's uh, learning about religious studies through werewolves um, <laughs> because I want to talk about some of the theories. You didn't think that was going to happen, but I'm making it happen. Yeah, you know, we're, um, <laughs> we're, we're talking about writing some books under the Jackalope Carnival brand. That book would freaking rock. <laughs> learning about theology from werewolves. Uh, yes. um, no, but. So, you know, in the academic study of religion, we sometimes look at different perspectives and they do so in sociology and other fields. So, like I said, one of the obvious theories about werewolves is werewolves are talked about because werewolves exist. (laughs) We would call this a belief perspective. And there are werewolves because werewolves exist. So like in religion, they'd say people believe there are religions because God exists. So that's one theory. Um, Another theory is that werewolves were a way to explain the loss of livestock. Mm -hmm. Now, when there just didn't seem to be an explanation quote, quote, like the sheep were secured in a way that a wolf couldn't have really gotten to them easily. And the shepherd swears that was the truth and they did not fall asleep. So there's nothing that could have done it except a werewolf. And this, you know, gives the werewolves a function as scapegoats. It keeps people happy because you're not going to fire your shepherd, perhaps. It has to be something else because my shepherd is really good at his job or her job. This is a functionalist perspective, perhaps. <laughs> like I said, in, in religion, we would say that this belief serves as a, a function in society. So could werewolves exist? That's one theory. Do they serve as a function in society? Another theory. And then there are theories that look deeper into the human psyche. Eric loves this stuff, by the way. I do. And this looks at werewolves and other beasts as symbolic, speaking more about humanity than about the actual werewolves themselves. This is a symbolic interactionist perspective, and it focuses more on the interpretation of belief than belief itself. And for those of you who have listened to us for a while, it's not going to come as any surprise that this is the perspective I find myself coming back to over and over again. I like looking at the paranormal and unexplained because I'm interested in what it says about us boring, mundane human beings. And monsters are really cool. That's all. <laughs> and if you and to throw a little more history on this uh, here. Oh, I, he, he can't. It's like catnip to him. He's I can't like, help myself. Oh. Uh, yeah. So the word therianthrope is a word that means an animal that can transform into a human. And a lycanthrope is a specific type of therianthrope. Uh, lycanthrope is a person who transforms into a wolf. Yes. Therianthropes do go back some time. In fact, some people think that perhaps one of the earliest pieces of art we have ever made by humans was a representation of a therianthrope. Have you ever seen what's called the sorcerer from the cave painting in France? Yes. <laughs> Funny story, but I'm not going to tell it. But yes, absolutely. Okay, fair enough. And so I, I had, you know, I studied art history, so that's the, kind of one, a 101 thing. Yeah. Gotcha. So that picture of a human, they think that it might be a human being who has the head and antlers of some kind of elk or deer, but the lower half body of a human uh, could be a therianthropic representation. Okay. And so the ideas of humans transforming into animals perhaps has been around, like you said, for longer than, than writing itself. And yeah, we it, really just don't know. Right. But you know, the stories could very well be, you know, ancient or 
you know, maybe they're more than well, stories. Well, I mean, we have written work. So that's where I'm getting to next is absolutely is that, you know, we do have written evidence of sort of pre-werewolves because one of the first that are, so one of the first that are cited is we have sources. We have tales from Roman poets, Virgil and Ovid telling stories that give evidence to man wolves in 37 before common era and eight common era respectively. Hmm. So Virgil's talking about, there's a man. Ovid's hmm? where we're (laughs) thinking. Yeah, I hate the phrase hmm? like Ovid's werewolf. Um, it's, it'd well, be like, well, no, I mean, that's in Metamorphosis. I and see. it's talking about this king that is like Aeon and that he is turned into in, like Aeon, like Anthropy, mm. not, but he is turned by Zeus into because he tries to trick Zeus to eat human flesh. And Zeus doesn't do it. And he turns him into a wolf. That's more beast. of his dad's thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. So um, this tales of lycanthropy, we have written, like I said, of sort of proto werewolves. We have men turning into beasts. We have one that does it deliberately, one that does it without, you know, his what he wants. They tend to be prominent in places where wolves were really threats hmm. to human life. So we see a lot from France, from Germany, from other areas. And I think that also we have found one of the band names for the day. So the Proto Werewolves. Would... Oh, can we make it an art house band and call it the Proto Lycanthrops? <laughs> you wouldn't have heard of them. They're really underground. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Please continue. So, no, that was beautiful. So, you know, I did a quick, like I said, in wolf heavy places, there were more stories, obviously, of werewolves. According to a quick Wikipedia search, because I'm not ashamed to admit, I just was like, "Mm, well, what about on wolfful places? Because I knew England got rid of wolves at some point. And apparently it was the time of Henry VIII. So, At some point, maybe 16th, 17th century, wolves were largely vanished from England. And that seems to be that werewolf tales kind of were less prominent after that. But if you've been listening to Jackalope Carnival this season and you know we did a dog tale, wolf sightings, but now we have mysterious dog sightings in England. So I found that really interesting and it kind of makes you wonder. Yeah. Along with me singing mm. uh, songs about friends in dog-heavy places or wolf-heavy places. Yes. Yes. Good boy. <laughs> and so, the, so uh, sorry. Hmm? Continue. I was gonna. I was gonna ask. Uh, you know, where do we start getting? Where are the first English-speaking werewolf tales? Oh, I have no idea. Hmm. So other areas of Europe and some areas of Western Asia all have these man wolf tales and they tend to really become a part of European cultures in the middle ages. So that's when you start to get more what we think of as werewolves where we have those proto lycanthrops. We're playing at the art house (laughs) next Saturday. Um, Proto lycanthrops over you know, in the first century CE, etc., you really toward the Middle Ages have the full-on werewolf that you think of, you know, full moon, etc. They basically share 
the basic, a man who can or does become a wolf sometime. And I say can, because sometimes he's doing it at will. Sometimes it's only under certain conditions and he didn't do it on purpose. Some are bitten. Some have become this way because they decided to do something to make them turn. They turn during the full moon. Some who use magic and turn to eat human flesh. And as again, our longtime listeners will know, we're no strangers to cannibalism here at Jackalope Carnival. That doesn't sound right, but I'm talking about the Alfred Packer. Right. Um, uh, that might make it onto episode. a t-shirt soon when we get our merch together. Yeah. Yeah. We're no strangers to cannibalism. We're no strangers right. to cannibalism. Yep. Uh, no. So um, if you don't want to be a werewolf, I have Miss Becca's tips to not become a werewolf. All right. Lay them on us. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. Do not, under any circumstances, drink water out of a wolf's paw print. Oh, darn it. Don't do it. And I'm just going to go ahead because I know you all are so contrary and I can hear you all thinking, but orange juice is okay, right? <laughs> no. 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 Beer? So beer no beverages. No, no beverages, no. Okay. No beverages okay. out of wolf paw prints. None. Right. Check. The next one is going to be don't rub your body with ointments intended to turn you into a wolf who craves human flesh. <laughs> so that jar you got from Bed Bath and the Beyond, don't nice. just return it. Take it right back. Nice. What kind of herbs would go into said? No. Don't even, no, no, I'm not going to give you the herbs you need to turn into a werewolf, wolfsbane, no. So, no matter how fresh the fashion is, number three, uh, do not be a slave to fashion. Doesn't matter how much you like it. Do not repeat, do not wear a belt of human or wolf flesh. Do, Aunt Harriet, do. never in style. Do not. Mm. Got to go throw something away. Pardon me. It's, yeah, you better. Mm. No incantations. Don't. No incantations. I don't care if you've been saying grandma's incantations since you were knee high to a grasshopper. One wrong pronunciation and you're eating your neighbors. So don't do it. Are you ready for the last one? This is a lot. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing. I'm going to make some life lifestyle adjustments here. Yeah. Eric, it's all about your life choices. Mm -hmm. And yeah. And so don't say I didn't tell you these things. So if any of you turn into a werewolf, like you've been warned. It's on you. And last. Maybe the most important, stay home during full moon. Or if you have to go out, wear armor. We're talking full-plated body armor. This is your choice. Well, that's fair enough. I already do that. But yeah, you need to be vigilant. Well, yeah, Eric, but you can't just do one of these. You have to do all of them. Okay. Or not, as the case may be. That's right. Or not. Refrain from the things one should refrain from. That's right. Yes. So... I've given you how to not become a werewolf. I've told you a little bit about werewolves. And now for our main story, Vive la France, the story of the Beast of Jevedon is popular, um, especially in France hmm. and even in other countries. We've heard it. We've heard it here, even if you don't know you've heard it, because <laughs> in 2001, Fairly historically inaccurate, but really popular movie called Le Pacte de Loup or Brotherhood of the Wolf hit theaters around the world and became like much talked about in horror circles. Eric, did you see that film? I did not. But my story also had a movie made after it. Oh, well, then we can put that in the middle of the Venn diagram also. 
Yeah, I actually, I saw part of it. I think part of it was excited because representation of Native Americans in film is lacking and this one touted and then the guy wasn't Native. And Mm. anyway, I don't remember the film very well. Now, one of my favorite horror movies of all time is American Werewolf in London. I did not see that. I was not allowed and I never just bothered to see it after that. Fair enough. I was too young, but yeah. And I mean, and I'm not even going to talk about like cinematic werewolves in like, uh, what was that? Twilight, <laughs> which I, <laughs> I didn't see, but I tried to read that book. So I never got to the werewolves because I didn't get very far in Twilight. So I'm really not very aware other than I've heard that there's like native American werewolves, but I didn't read it because I was trying to read it. I wanted to connect with my students. Like they were like, yeah, you should read it. It's really wonderful. And I started reading it and that poor girl, Bella hit herself against something so many times. I was like, if people do not take her to the doctor to check for neurological disease, like I can't read this. Something's wrong with that girl. She's not just clumsy. Traumatic brain injury. (laughs) Yeah. I'm pretty sure she had one and no one, no one cared. So I couldn't get, I couldn't get through it. It was past like normal being clumsy and more into like, Oh God, this poor girl. Gotcha. Someone help her. (laughs) So, (laughs) and that's probably why she ended up married to a vampire. So um, yeah. So this, this story was made into a film and It takes place in the 18th century, and it tells the more historical version, tells of the story that actually happened. From 1764 to 1767, these wild and really scary tales circulated around France of this wild beast that gruesomely stalked and murdered people in the southern highland region of Massif Central. The beast was said to be almost supernatural in how fast it moved. It eluded capture by mobs. It was attacked by mobs. They tried to poison it. They tried to kill it in many ways. And you know how many, like, usually if a cryptid or a monster has angry mobs of villagers going out after them, they're gone. They're dead. That's it, right? In the movies, yeah. That's what it seems to be like. I mean, in stories, we know that's the end of the cryptid. But this or these were able to elude people. In only three years, it killed over 100 people in and out around the region of Jovedon. In Eric, like it was gross to read about in like really gory and just unthinkable ways. They, I mean, it was bloody the way that this beast attacked. Most of the victims were attacked while they were out shepherding their sheep or tending their cattle. So again, you have these pastoral scenes that they're out by themselves. Most of them were women or children, but it didn't stop there because it was known to have killed men on occasion. Mostly it's out in pastoral settings, but it's known to have visited a few cities because even wild beasts need nightlife. Uh, We've all seen Michael J. Fox and Teen Wolf, right? I wasn't allowed to see that. Oh, shut up. You know, you saw it. (laughs) (laughs) He probably like tried to do the dances. Um, I tried to do a headstand on top of a van. It was didn't work out well. You went through your Michael J. Fox and Teen Wolf phase in high school. Michael yeah. J. Fox has no Elvis in him. None. Mm. So why is this story still popular? Like, what is it about this story that's, you know, still in human psyches after two and a half centuries? 
Uh, the thing is about this is that unlike other stories of cryptid, the beasts of Jevedon had many, many eyewitness accounts and even survivors. In fact, its first potential victim, the first time we hear of it, is a young herder girl who I think she was like, she was a sort of a tween. She's like between 12 and 14, I think. And she's saved when her herd counterattacks the beast. So oh. it gets gored and leaves. Wow. Yeah. So I'm saying beast, but according to some accounts, it's believed that there were more than one, possibly a mated pair or a small pack. And here's your wolf uh, trivia. <laughs> wolf pack can be from tw- two to 26 hmm. um, with six being a typical size. And the reason I'm giving you fun facts is that a collective wolf name isn't as fun as the other collectives we've been giving in the latest episodes. So pack of wolves it is. It's not as fun as, say, a congregation of alligators or one um, I just learned, which was a romp of otters. Of course, that's wonderful, actually. It is pretty wonderful. And, of course, the murder of crows. We all know that. Murder of crows. Yeah, those are fun. So according to a passage in Rosemary Gillies fantastic Eric it's great reference book the Encyclopedia of Vampires and Werewolves yeah i need a hard copy of it i absolutely need a copy of that there were strange beliefs on what might be behind the attacks. So some believe the killings to be a work of a single wolf, others believe the creature to be a tiger or a hyena or offspring of a tiger and a lioness still others believe the beast to be a werewolf so that was the quote eric did you hear what i said offspring of a tiger and a lioness what is that eric so there's a ligon and a and a uh, (laughs) there's there's two different words and i can't remember which one's which right because it depends on who's the father and who's the mother ligon and liger (laughs) there's liger and tigon yes okay liger and tigon right but it but the gender of the parents matters and i can't remember well they didn't give it to us so you can say liger or you can see tigon doesn't matter it could be either one it's hard to say so it just really depends what sounds better with where i like tigina (laughs) though if it was a hybrid of a tiger and a hyena a tigina I like that. Uh, well, yeah. So, I mean, is Where Liger a good band name? Because I feel like we have two band names Ooh, right now. Where Liger would, where 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 Tiger would be. Where 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 Tigon. Where Tigon. Now, those are two. Those are two very different bands. Because Where Tiger would be like a '70s like occult metal band, whereas Where Ligon would be some hipster thing. Okay. Well, I'm making shirts for all of them. <laughs> Again. <laughs> Sorry, we digress. Again, these these are these, these killings are gruesome. This is exactly oh. what we're talking about. So the killings, like I said, they're really gruesome, and because they're really gruesome, um, it captures public attention all over France, and also internationally. And newspapers started reporting on the carnage and featured artwork depicting the creatures. Now, at the time, apparently, the newspapers were being censored by you know the ruling classes, the king, where there was a king. And um, that meant that they couldn't really print too much politically. So something like this, it was safe to print um, Mm. for the most part until it got big. And then the king, who wasn't even king of that region, intervened because it might look bad for him. But they started reporting on it and they started putting pictures in. So you have a lot of depictions of what the beast might've looked like and descriptions. So one poster printed in 1764 and mind you, this is when they start depicts the beast 
and says, it had reddish brown with dark ridge stripe down the back. Resembles wolf slash hyena, but big as a donkey. Long, gaping jaw, six claws, pointy upright ears, and supple furry tail. Just, you know, to make sure you know it's supple. Mm. Mobile like a cat's. It could be undulating, I'm saying. And can knock you over. Cry is more like a horse neighing than a wolf howling. Hmm. Another says the beast is the size of a young bull. It likes to attack women and children. It drinks their blood, cuts off their heads, and carries them off. Wow. That one's like really going for the blood and guts. But my favorite is an illustration in a comic panel, kind of. And it tells the story of the brave deeds of one 20-year-old Marie-Jean Vallée, who, according to History.com, was attacked by the beast on August 11th, 1765, while crossing the river with her sister. Armed with a bayonet affixed to a pole, she impaled the beast's chest. Go. The creature got away. Yeah, you but go, she girl. became known as the Amazon. <laughs> I like her. Yeah. So, I mean, they do have many, many eyewitness stories. The most prominent book written on it was from 2011. It's by J.M. Smith, and he writes a book called Monsters of the Javudan, The Making of a Beast, where he looks into the story and what it means on a larger societal scale. Um, I highly recommend people look into it because it's really excellent. He was even kind of concerned about writing it, that the French academics, because he's an academic himself, would kind of make fun of him because it's popular culture. Mm. But um, he, he writes on and he gives us a lot of eyewitness accounts. And according to some of the witness accounts, it would lunge for the neck and deliver fatal wounds. And also it would be head. And they found one peasant's head in the woods away from its body and that the head was cracked open. So whatever Yikes. this beast was, yeah, it was so ferocious. It could crack open a human skull and decapitate them. And some of the pictures show that and they show like bones. So this was really salacious and put in newspapers <laughs> in the 18th century in only three years. It claimed, like I said earlier, over a hundred lives. Wow. But they eventually, so while, while we don't really know what it is, people didn't take it sitting down. As you know, you know, we have our Amazon who goes after it. We have men who go after it in sort of posses. I don't know what they would have called them at the time in France. Probably not posses, but hey. Um, <laughs> you can they take the girl out hunters. of Idaho. But... You can take the girl out of Idaho, but you can't take her out of the posse. Wait. Um, exactly. So the they had professionals they had like people from all the villages they had dragoons going after them hmm. still couldn't get these wolves apparently they slaughtered hundreds if not over a thousand wolves oh. in the area oh that's not good what they decided to do um they had the king's wolf catcher and again i believe and i might be wrong here but from what i read i believe that this particular area was not technically under king louis at the point at this point but he still said this is going to look really bad so he sent his wolf catcher out they fed poison to dogs so they made them poisonous left them out as bait and to try to kill those beasts if they were wolves whatever they were and what happened is they ended up 
attracting domestic dogs, farm animals, all kinds of animals died. So they stopped doing that when too many of people's working dogs, because remember shepherds are out there and the shepherd usually has their dog. They were getting killed too, and people were losing money. So they stopped doing it. Eventually they caught something though. It finally ends in 1767 when a male wolf is killed in September, a particular huge wolf and a female is also killed in June. They may have been dog wolf crosses. Hmm. They weren't, they were too big for regular wolves. They had unusual coloration and markings. They don't really know what they were. So werewolves who couldn't change back that's one theory again that dog wolf cross something more prehistoric no one is a hundred percent sure wow and i just learned that apparently the king's wolf catcher is a job i had no idea um do you think they're hiring maybe not today (laughs) yeah (laughs) i mean like five years ago sure but I used to have a job with uh, Maryland Department of Natural Resources that required me to catch snakes sometimes. Snake That's, catcher? Well, I used to have a job that required me to herd goats. Yeah. Th- so neither was one that of those shepherd? Things. <laughs> 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 mm-hmm. Goat herd. I mean, yeah, neither I, one of those is quite as dangerous or glamorous as wolf catcher, as king's wolf catcher at that. Well, no. I mean, you're sh- herding animal you're i'm like the victim here i barely <laughs> escaped i here. mean were i hurting those goats 250 years earlier in a totally different continent that could have been me <laughs> well you better affix a bayonet to a pole and carry it around with you buddy That's right <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay so that was my long-winded explanation <laughs> eric what have you got for us that was really cheese. cool actually cheese uh, yeah going moving here to the cheese region of america Uh, We're going to Wisconsin. Specifically, we're going to southeast Wisconsin in a place called Delavan, Wisconsin. Mm. And stories about wolves in this area, or actually not just wolves, wolves aren't unheard of in Wisconsin. They're uncommon, but they're not unheard of. You To this day, coyotes and wolves sometimes make their way to Wisconsin. So that's not the story here. So I guess that's, again, one commonality between France, or at least 18th century France and Wisconsin, is that wolves sometimes were there. The thing that was spotted in southeast Wisconsin, though, that was a little more than a wolf, was actually something more lycanthropic because it was mm. wolf and human simultaneously. The well, first that has to be a werewolf. That's all there is to it. No other explanation. So, right? Then, yeah, so it would seem. In 1936 is the first spotting of this. A fellow by the name of Mark Shackleman, who was a night watchman. 1936, did you say? I did indeed. That year was a big year for cryptids. What else happened in 36? Um, wasn't that when Nessie was first sighted? And oh. also our our other caddy as well. Uh, so maybe the veil was thin in 1936 and things were, were making their way through. I don't know. Uh, but it, it kind of shocked me. Mike, Mark Shackleman was a night watchman. And so his job was to walk around, it, you know, in the dark. And he worked for a local school in Wisconsin. And two nights in a row, he had an encounter that scared the crap out of him. And rightfully, you know, understandably so, I should say. Both times he ran across a 
some kind of creature that he described as having the head of a canid and having pointy ears, but stood on two legs and a roughly human-like body. Both times that he came across it, he startled it, it growled, and then ran away from him. And he was happy that it did that. There's no other remarks from the historical record about if he ever saw it again. He did see it two nights in a row again in 36. But that's not really where the modern, well, I mean, that's modern, 1936. But the the more recent story really picks up in 1991. And that year was the year that, again, a teenage girl spots another another human wolf-like creature. And this story reminded me, do you remember the story of the creature of Skateboard Swamp from South Carolina? This story reminds me of that one. Remember, there was a young man who had the lizard man jump on his car. Right. This this story feels very, very similar. And if I'm not mistaken, it was around the same time, right? So nineteen it was in the nineteen nineties. So again, who knows? They they there's like a smattering of cryptids jumping on cars. But this woman in nineteen ninety one was driving in the dark in southeast Wisconsin and she hit something. So she stopped to see what she hit. And when she got out to look, she didn't see anything, but then off in a distance there was the outline of something that scared her very badly. So she got back in her car, but it ran after her car. And just like the lizard man of Skateboard Swamp, it leaped into the air and landed on her car. And she, you know, luckily it was raining. And so that slid off and she sped away. Well, apparently she was then asked a little bit later on Halloween, same girl, to go pick up a no. family friend. No, that's that's Miss Becca's other rules of don't becoming a werewolf. <laughs> so she's she's like going to get like a family friend, a, a, you know, a kid. And, you know, she's picked up the kid from trick or treating. Oh, I'm sure she's probably like, of course, I'll go get her. Like, there's something creepy out there. And as she's driving back home, apparently the creature was on the side of the road and the the little girl was like, hey, do you see that? And she steps on the gas and speeds out of there. Uh, but once again, chased by it. Well, this is picked up, and this is where the story really kind of intrigued me. It's picked up by a local reporter, and her name is Linda S. Godfrey. Now, longtime listeners, astute longtime listeners, Jackalope Carnival, may find that name, Linda S. Godfrey, kind of familiar. Because I reference uh, Linda Godfrey often when we talk about cryptids, because she has become one of the leading writers on cryptids and that sort of thing. Cryptids kind of is actually kind of her jam. Uh, She's also done a couple of books, Weird Wisconsin and Weird Michigan as well. But really, the two books that she wrote about the Beast of Bray Road as this werewolf became known uh, is really what kind of got her into this business. So her career really pivoted. And it all started with just a two-page piece about the Beast of Bray Road. Now, after this encounter, again, the 36 uh, happening is sort of a uh, – it's outside of, of the 1990s sightings. In the 1990s. It's a proto-lycanthropic sighting. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. It's, it's, if, it was a, you know, if this was another movie, because there is a movie called The Beast of Bray Road, which I haven't seen. But if I made the movie, it was, the first scene would be in black and white and it would be shot in 1936. But in 1991, so many stories about seeing something weird in Wisconsin became so common that it became a bit of like local lore. 
Well, I was in Wisconsin in the early 90s with my grandmother for the state fair, and I saw Barry Manilow, and that was pretty weird. <laughs> Um, are are you making are you making some kind of uh, claim about Mr. No, Manila? No, just saying. No, could be a cryptid. I don't know. Anyway, I dig- uh, Sorry, I interrupted. Go ahead, finish. Oh no, you can always interrupt with Barry Manilow. <laughs> That's true, isn't it? Like I'd be okay with that as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, whether or not Barry Manilow is in any way involved in this, um, we're not making that claim, and it is certainly not proven by us. But. Back in 1991, there were a bunch of people uh, wandering around talking about encounters with some kind of creature. And Linda S. Godfrey is sent out to go, you know, investigate what's going on. And she's not at this point actually a paranormal investigator. She's just a regular reporter for a newspaper in Wisconsin. And she's, as a reporter, she's, you know, got the normal reporters, a little bit of skepticism, but at the same time, she's, you know, investigating to see what's going on. And I like this really, this great quote, not much came of it until, and oh, I'm quoting now a story that came out more recently in Milwaukee magazine in November of, excuse me, in October of last year, 2020, someone did a Hey, remember when store a uh, piece about the original story, which was published in 91. And in that piece, which was written by Archer Parquette called the legend of the beast of Bray road for Milwaukee magazine, he quotes as saying, not much came out of it until she happened to have a conversation with John Fredrickson, the Walworth County animal welfare officer. He had a file marked werewolf. Godfrey said, that's when I knew I had a story. <laughs> so I love that somewhere in rural Wisconsin, there was a poor animal, you know, the guy working at the local animal welfare office who just, you know, has a file called werewolf sitting on his desk because he keeps that's, collecting these stories. You know what, though? I bet you animal control everywhere has that. I is I wonder if that's true. That would be really cool if so. Yeah, I'm doing a survey. True. Yeah, yeah. If you are an animal control officer, please, uh, please at us and uh, yeah. and let us know if there is a werewolf file. Doing um, a survey, Qu- quantitative, not qualitative. There you go. <laughs> just, I just want numbers, friends. All right. So this is. I'm really actually going to focus now. I'm going to pivot a little bit because there's not much else to tell other than luckily and thankfully there aren't any fatalities from the. Beast of Bray Road sightings that I'm aware of. There were a lot of very frightened people and a lot of people getting away, but I don't think anyone was hurt. And again, gratefully. So there's not really much of a narrative structure here. The real, the real story comes into the career of Linda Godfrey. She will end up turning from local journalism to writing about cryptids, but specifically she writes a lot about uh, canid cryptids. So whenever there's a werewolf story, like she usually starts hearing about it, apparently. You're saying the werewolf transformed her. She came into contact with the werewolf and the werewolf changed her forever. Haunting. The quote directly from her, actually I read her original piece that she wrote in 91 And it had this great line drawing. They didn't have any photographs. It was like a line drawing illustrating her story of like, you know, a a kind of a gruesome, you know, werewolf looking from a a movie type of thing. It was wonderful. Look it up. You can probably find it yourself. But the quote from her is, there is a high probability 
that everyone is not always seeing the same thing. There could be a biological animal seen by some, while others see phantoms or supernatural entities from a variety of sources. A few may be misidentifications or hoaxes. And this is what I really like about Linda Godfrey's work. Yeah. Yeah. Is that she's open minded and reasonable at the same time. And that really characterizes all of her work. I ended up reading um, American Monsters, which is the book of hers I quote most often for Jackalope Carnival. And in it, she actually doesn't talk about the Beast of Bray Road, probably because she has two other books focusing just on that case. And I Probably didn't. because he gave her a career and they have an agreement. <laughs> <laughs> He's got – right, exactly. He gets a cut. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm to- total um, – why am I picturing the Beast of Bray Road in a leisure suit? That's so weird. As oh, I said, Barry Manilow, Barry Manilow and he's right. singing Copacabana. That's exactly it. Yes. Um, really quick aside, mm-hmm. I'm really proud of myself because when I, and you might remember this, when I was a camp counselor for the Girl Scouts in Maryland, <laughs> oh, ages ago, I didn't know, I was never a Girl Scout. So I did not know any camp songs and I had to have my campers sing songs. So I taught them the lyrics to the Copacabana complete with arm gestures. And so there are girls out in Maryland who literally think the Copacabana is a camp song. And I'm pretty pleased with that. I feel like my work was done. I contributed to society. And, and they came home and ad nauseum, I'm sure, sang Copacabana to their parents. And I, I just, hope I'm, that's true. I'm sure. We sang it every day. Yeah, so, <laughs> just... <laughs> so there you have it. I bet you didn't expect that story dropping in your lap from Jackalope Carnival, but here we are. So that's it. Um, that's, that's what I got for the Beast of Bray Road. And people still cite canid-like cryptids in that area, in that region, to this very day. It's still happening. That's cool. She's, she's really cool. Yeah. I, the tone of her writing is just like that. It's very matter of fact, very reasonable, um, very well written. And again, she now focuses on this. One of the things that she did to get pivot from her career from local journalist again to more of a cryptid researcher is she was actually paid by the National Enquirer, the infamous tabloid to do an investigation about the Beast of Bray Road. She even name checks the National Enquirer in her original story. I don't know if she was maybe setting it up. I don't think so. Uh, but eventually they do hire her to, to do the investigation. One of my favorite quotes from her is, is that people saw something. She moves from being skeptical when she first gets the story because, you know, it seems like kind of like a local kind of local interest piece, you know, and she's at first, like I think many people would be, except me, uh, would immediately dismiss it out of hand as nonsense because, you know, come on werewolves. But she found herself starting to believe people because she encountered so many people who had so many earnest stories. She was like, look, something's going on here. I don't know what it is, but something's happening around here. And so she has become I don't know if she's a, she would count herself as a believer, but she certainly is a bit more open-minded about the topic. And yeah, I, I feel like, I feel like we, you know, kindred spirit here, you, you know, me, I'm more, well, of the, we've the given you a lot here today. We've given you highbrow culture, such as Barry Manilow, uh, Wikipedia inquirer. Wolves we're, in we're leisure really, um, suits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we are, we are bringing, bringing the high, high culture, Absolutely. to be French. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening. Every single listener means so much to us, and we hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, We will be here again in a few weeks. So until then, Wado, thank you very much. Take care, folks.
Jackalope Carnival.